0: Obama. Long live Palestine. Long live Gaza. The government supports the people of the UK. Didn't Zionism's not compatible with Judaism. The hijacked faith. The state is misrepresenting Israel. Equals displacement and ethnic cleansing. I know I'm on a list for being more verbal. Curse every Zionist since theodore Herzl. Balfour was not a wise man. Shame on Rothschild. Between them, the monster they created is. <laughs> <gone> wow. <wild. laughs> الانسحاب من العراق عقاب كم من تم كتم كم من ام هدم بتبدأ القاضي إليه كم من دليل يصرخ اترك not fear disaster Living near the master Clear the fastest Hear the catfish. We rap when we die from boom they Looms after high summer days in the thunder blaze They murk dreams like Theodore Hurts or Screams In the UN in 48 30 father for mother's daughters Sons murdered and empty father's مجتمع كامل بالحبس رصاص ضرب وضرب المطر كبس وكبس النفس لكن حتى الطفل حدود الطير من طير طير يا عمي روح انت دمي حياتي ناطر بس المهدي ی او عملوح میصفه ورببی با اینکه تو تلویزی و نوعش میشین دروغ میگن داشته اخبار میدیدم که دور رو جورا رو بچه ها اش های مادر اوور ضبی میریزن ریزن بچه ها شرین بهشونش رو بچه ای که تازه یاد گرفته را بره و دستشو میگیرن گیرن کرد بعد تیری زن کم وقت پیش صنه ها Well criminals use illegal weapons like white phosphorus Burns your flesh to the bone and if you happen to live You'll be left infected with cancer, you curse the fact that you did so. Forgive me if I wish the same fate on those Israelis Responsible for killing all those innocent little babies I studied the Torah and learned by their own admission Israel's actions are not kosher in their own religion بتطلع حواليه فيش حياة أخذوا أرضي من تحت شي أعطوني معاناه كنا نحمل طريه نترز من الله خلونا نحمل بندقية نتوكل على الله مجزرة مدبحة الكل شافها على مش اليوم مش ضفة مش غزه معاً بالصفحات التاريخ شوف المسيح شوف أكتر من ستين عام دق الأجساد في فلسطين so miss to Welcome deceiving you. so You're listening the to Indigo Radio of on
1: 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. You were just listening to Long Live Palestine 2, which is um, by Low Key featuring D.A.M., The Narcissist, and Shadia Mansour. And so we're going to move into talking with our guests a little bit. Um, Again, we're joined by Mel Motel and Joe Levine, both of whom are Jewish educators and activists. Uh, Mel Motel is a member of the Brattleboro community, and Joe Levine is a UMass Professor of Philosophy and organizer with Western Mass Jewish Voice for Peace, and is also a member of the JVP Academic Council. Again, welcome to the show hello thank you Um,
2: and Lauren I think it's important to note that while we're talking about resistance and history that there has been resistance since the beginning of the formation of Israel and a lot of that resistance at the beginning was from people who had survived the Holocaust you know I'm sure people are very familiar with the slogan never again and so people were saying never again we don't want this to happen to anyone, including Palestinians. So I think that's important to hold in our minds as we continue with the history and um, what it's been like for people growing up Jewish here in this country. Absolutely.
1: We're going to start the show off digging into our personal histories a bit of being Jewish and how our thinking and actions have changed over time. Um, Mel? Can you start us off by speaking a little bit about your experience growing up Jewish and what ideas you were taught as Mm -hmm. a Jewish person? Mm -hmm. About Israel,
3: specifically. So first of all, I just want to respond to something that Becca said earlier about this show being about how do we have tough conversations with both youth and adults? And I think among Jewish people, at least from my experience, there is no tougher conversation than the conversation about Israel and Palestine. It is something that I I don't know a single Jewish person in my life who has not um, grappled with that question or in some way been affected by it. So we're jumping right into the the belly of the beast here for for us Jews. Um, So, yeah, to talk a little bit about your question about um, growing up Jewish and what ideas I learned about Israel, I grew up with a very uh, progressive family going to a very progressive synagogue just outside Chicago. And to tell you a little bit about how progressive the synagogue was, It was called Beth Emmett, the Free Synagogue, and we always joked it's not free in terms of money because it was certainly not free, but it was free, I think, in terms of thought. And in the the 60s, um, Evanston, the town or the city that it was in, was a really segregated city and did not let black people stay in hotels. And our synagogue brought Martin Luther King to speak at the synagogue, and he stayed in the synagogue, and I think... um, I remember growing up being really um, influenced by and, and touched by this, this history of standing up for what was right, standing up against segregation, um, being in solidarity with people of color. That was a huge formative part of my experience with that synagogue and with Judaism, this idea that social justice was a part of the Judaism that I grew up with. At the same time, when we talk about Israel, Israel was something you kind of just accepted. Um, nobody really talked about it. I remember being in Hebrew school classrooms and there would be a map of Israel. And it always looked kind of funny. I was like, why are there these pieces cut out of this land? It seems a very strange shape. And no adult answered me clearly. Um, I was never really given an explanation of the history of that land. And then there's this other thing that I know I've shared with a lot of my my peers, both younger and older, around this idea of planting trees in Israel. Um, Many Jewish listeners out there might be very familiar with the idea of you grew up you raised money. Sometimes you raise money in what was called a tzedakah box, which means good deeds. You'd get coins from your grandparents, and then you'd raise the money and send it to Israel to plant trees. And the whole story behind that was that where Israel was was kind of this barren desert. There was no vegetation. It was empty, and part of what we, our duty as Jews were was to uh, vegetate this, this barren land. Um, so we grew up with this idea that Israel was this... Um, sort of benevolent project of reforesting this desert land. And we, we didn't learn much about uh, the people who had been living there prior to 1948. So um, when I look back, I see some of the sort of uh, different messages I got around, you know, being a Jew meant being for social justice, but also not learning anything about how Palestinian people had been pushed off their land and been hurt by, by Israel's occupation. So a lot of different messages about being Jewish and about Israel.
1: Yeah, I can definitely, I mean, I had the same um, explicit experience of um, planting tree or giving money to plant trees in Israel and and later coming to find also that the trees that were being planted were European. also European or mm-hmm. trees that we would find around here and not, so they were also, it was also part of changing that, the landscape and um, and how, yeah shocking it was to know that that action was uprooting and displacing people Mm -hmm. as we did it.
3: I think one more thing I'll say is a huge message I learned growing up from all kinds of places was, of course, about the Holocaust and about six million Jews being killed and about the, um, the trauma and oppression that Jewish people had experienced, not just from the Holocaust, but for Groms in Europe, um, the violence enacted upon European Jews, and that's how my family wound up in the United States, as my, you know, great-grandfather was one of, was the only sibling to escape, and, you know, this going back for thousands and thousands of years, so we learned about Jewish people being hurt, um, and at the same time, you know, we, we learned sort of a mixed message around um, Israel was created be- because of this, and to protect ourselves, but, um, didn't always hear the the story of, we don't want this to happen again to anybody. So we need to protect ourselves, but there wasn't always that message of how do we protect other people given the pain that we went through. And we understand how hard it is to be hurt that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's almost like a perfect moment to set up for solidarity with other communities, right? Yes. But that piece, that jump isn't always made. Yeah.
1: So Joe, I'd like to ask you the same question. Um just a little bit about your experience growing up Jewish and what ideas you were taught about Israel as a Jewish person.
4: So there are um, two big differences between um, my experience and Mel's and that is, one, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. um, And also I grew up in a very strictly orthodox uh, household. So Mm -hmm. we were You know, we didn't turn on lights on Saturday, we didn't drive a car, we ate strictly kosher food, and I went to, I didn't go to public school until a little rebellion of mine uh, as an adolescent, and I went for the last two years of high school to public school. But until then, I was studying in a Jewish parochial school um, up until then. And um, so for for three reasons, really, we didn't have as much of the emphasis on Israel in my background as many people growing up today. One, the Orthodox community at that time was actually had a very ambivalent relationship to Zionism. Going way back to the origins of Zionism in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, Orthodox uh, Judaism actually had a split in the movement. There was a Zionist, a religious Zionist movement, but then a large part of the Orthodox community the kind the one I descended from sort of um, was opposed on religious grounds to Zionism. they thought it 's god 's work to bring us back to the land, not um, not something to be done politically. so there was that ambivalent relationship, and also they didn't like the fact that many early Zionists were very secular and and um, they found the that Uh, extremely um, uh, uh, repellent to them. So on the other hand, uh, of course, there was solidarity with fellow Jews. And when Palestinians or the Arabs, as they were referred to, uh, put up resistance, there was always that tribe closing in together, so the Orthodox by and large would side. So I, of course, learned that Israel was this place for Jews Um, I learned some of this, all the same myths. uh, There was a land without people for a people without a land, Mm -hmm. right? It was a complete mythology, but that was a Zionist slogan from the early 20th century. Um, I learned that the Jews bought all the land that they took, Mm -hmm. which was nonsense. In fact, by the time of the uh, uh, establishment of the State of Israel, Jews had actually literally owned only 6% of the land, even though they took over 78% of the land. Um, But nevertheless, that's what I learned. Um, So I had all of those as well. But there was also something else that was different in the 50s and 60s from now, and that is that Israel didn't play the important role in geopolitics in quite the same way that it does now. In 1967, when this major war occurred, when Israel conquered the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and the Golan Heights and the Sinai Desert, from Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. um, Israel emerged as the major um, garrison for American imperial interests in the Middle East. They proved themselves in a certain sense. And from then on, their role in American politics just uh, uh, accelerated tremendously, and they became uh, a really crucial part of the American economic and military strategy for dominating vast areas of the world, especially the Middle East where all the oil was. So um, people growing up after 67, Israel was just more present in their experience than it was Mm -hmm. for, for myself. And I noticed that change by the time, you know, I actually lived in Israel myself for two years in 1970 and 71. I was in a rabbinical school there studying Talmudic studies. And you could see the vast change that was happening Mm -hmm. both in Israel and the world as uh, Israel's geopolitical status and importance was rising astronomically. So um, that was a lot of my experience Mm -hmm. uh, as a young person. And in terms of how I changed on this issue, I mean, I was loyal, in fact, in 1973, when uh, Israel uh, was one of the few wars where they were attacked first, um, when they were attacked by Syria and Egypt and it looked pretty bad for the first couple of days for Israel. They actually lost the Suez Canal and the Egyptian army had made advances, the Syrian army had made advances. And we were scared. I mean, I have to say, we were scared. I had a brother living there at the time. I almost went back to volunteer, not to fight, but, you know, volunteer to um, uh, help do things on various uh, uh, areas when, when to replace people who went off to the army. That was the last time I felt this strong connection. As I through in college and in graduate school started to read more and especially I have to say the person who influenced me the most was reading Noam Chomsky who um, I had been uh, following uh, for his general politics for a long time and then I started to realize if you're against the Vietnam War, if you think what uh, Americans and Australians and Europeans did to Native Americans and the Aborigines. If you think all that's wrong, I just couldn't anymore mm-hmm. hang on to this idea that there was something okay about European Jews coming to this land. And of course, I hadn't realized, essentially coming there and kicking out the indigenous people, not really all that different than what happened in the United States and... Australia, you know, mm-hmm. differences in detail, but the main idea was the same. I just couldn't take that inconsistency anymore. So I um, I changed my views and became pretty much, by 1980, I was an activist in the Pal- Palestine Solidarity Movement.
2: You know, Joe, it's really important bringing up that connection to um, indigenous struggle here in this country. We had uh, pa- a couple panels in March with a Palestinian speaker from California. And on one of the panels, he was with Judy Dow, who's been a a frequent guest on our show. And she said at one point, wow, I feel like I'm hearing the stories of what happened to my people 500 or 400 years ago, and I'm seeing it in real life today.
4: Yeah, no, it's hard... (laughs) It's, it's very interesting. There is a trope that you'll sometimes hear <coughs> in uh, the, Jew, the official <coughs> excuse me, Jewish community when they're defending Israel and saying, we're indigenous too. This is a conflict of two indigenous peoples. But, of course, it's nonsense. It's nonsense, right? I... My if, if if I did a twenty three and me, then my, my roots are in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. My gen- my roots go back for hundreds of years in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Right, they have nothing to do with the people that lived in ancient Judea two thousand years ago. That that's if anything, I think the most likely survivors of the ancient Judeans are present day Palestinians. Um, right, uh, so uh, this idea that somehow we count it as indigenous is nonsense. But it was a good story mm-hmm. <laughs> and because of all the oppression against Jews, it was an especially easy story to sell to Europe because you know, they're so used to indigenous people being kicked out, they didn't really care what happens to the Palestinians. And this was a pretty easy way to uh, relieve themselves of a lot of guilt about the oppression of Jews.
1: Yeah. Um Mal, just before we go to break this our next break, can you also talk about um, what politicized mm-hmm. you and what made you begin to shift your thoughts mm-hmm. around Israel and um, what you 've been taught
3: well i 'm always profoundly affected by hearing people 's stories, so I remember in when I was in college when I was twenty or twenty one um, I started to hear little bits and pieces from other um, Jewish people that I met about actually maybe the thing you've been taught isn't really what's happening here's an example of some of the things that that Palestinians are going through and it made me feel uncomfortable but not uncomfortable enough to form a different opinion i think i was very nervous to to make any kind of leap on something that was so much a part of my experience in my family but it really was when I was in my early to mid-20s and I started hearing directly from Palestinian people, um, Palestinian refugees, who described the conditions that they were living in and described the history from their experience that I couldn't ignore it anymore. Um, and it was that direct experience with people who were saying, this is what's happening to me, believe me, that I started to say, I believe you, um, and that was something that really, and I think also my learning about the connections, as we've been talking about, between the struggles in Palestine and also indigenous people in the United States and all over the world, and noticing those similarities and thinking, I, I am against what happened to people on this land. Um, so, w- what's my, what's my view on what's happening in this, in this place where it's being done in my name as well? And I had to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. Lauren, I'd
2: like to ask you the same question as well. What um, politicized you and, and helped to change your thoughts that you had been raised um, thinking in the Jewish community?
1: Um, yeah, so for me, I one moment that it wasn't about Palestine even, it was about the Japanese internment, finding mm-hmm. out about that happening. I was in high school in my senior year. And that was one moment where I was so surprised that I could have gone so long without knowing that this happened. And then it was even later in college where I found out that there was even a place called Palestine. I had had grown up in Hebrew school and Sunday school and and never heard of Palestine. And so the anger and the resentment towards having... such crucial information left out of my life was a huge um, moment. And then also after that point um, asking more and more questions and learning about the water Mm -hmm. situation Mm -hmm. um, was a a place for me to not, not be able to turn back because water is something that people need to live and, it is controlled by the Israeli state, and Palestinians um, are being slowly poisoned. And so, in that in that way, also there, you know, there was no way to to um, play with those ideas. Um, we're gonna go to a short break. Um, we'll listen to a song called. Um, Leve Palestina. It's a, by a Swedish Arabic musical group called Kofia. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Palestina,
5: we Palestina, we Palestina, we'll see you We are all that you we are all Juden, oh we we we
0: die gauchfasizionisten
5: wirk kastat siner bom und wir haben
0: kastat
5: siner bom sudateropolis sudateropolis
0: und wir haben
5: Vi ska be fria mot land,
0: och vi ska be fria land.
5: Från imperialism,
0: och
5: vi ska bygga upp vårt
0: land. Live Palestina, of oh your sacianism, 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 live Palestina, of your sacianism, live Palestina, of your sacianism live 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 palestina live 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 palestina live palestina au grossa sionismen live palestina au grossa
5: sionismen vi har olat
0: jorden
5: och vi har olat jorden och vi är för att vi test och vi har svurit att vi
0: test
5: vi har frågat si Welcome
1: back, you're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Today we're here with Mel Motel, Jewish Brattleboro Community Member, Educator and Activist, as well as Joe Levine, UMass Professor of Philosophy and Organizer with Western mass Jewish voice for peace. We were just talking about how our experiences growing up Jewish um, and how our thoughts and actions have been shaped by those experiences, and we now stand in solidarity with Palestine. So we will now move towards looking at the reactions of the Jewish community when talking about Palestine. There's a common misconception that if you're Jewish and against the occupation, you're being anti-Semitic, or you're a self-hating Jew. Um, The distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism fails to be made in many instances. Criticisms of the Israeli state from Jewish people are quick to be shut down, dismissed, or even criminalized uh, by Zionist members of the Jewish community. Um, We talked about earlier a little bit about Zionism, Joe, you mentioned, um, but I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about what Zionism is, the origins, the ideology, and, and the outcomes of it.
4: So there are um, basically two sources of uh, where Zionism originated from, and both European, but um, the original source is really Eastern European. There was a group called which means lovers of Zion, that formed in um, Eastern Europe uh, you know, throughout the Russian Empire, and this was largely in response to the horrible and really horrible hundreds years of uh, oppression that Jews felt living in the pale of settlement, uh, constant pogroms, inability to own land, I mean, you know terrible, terrible um, restrictions on their lives. And there were sort of two responses to that in Eastern Europe. One response was Zionism, basically saying, and you can sort of understand it, we need a state of our own. We are not welcome here among the Gentiles. They've made that clear to us. So we need a state of our own. So that was one. The other one was um, a very vibrant Jewish movement that was influenced by socialism. Uh, there was a very famous group, workers, uh, Jewish workers group called the Bund, that organized throughout Eastern Europe. And they thought, now what we need is a general transformation of society to end all discrimination against everybody. And they did organize as a separate Jewish group, but the idea was not to have any kind of sovereignty as Jews. Mm. Their idea was, well, we have a unique experience, so we will be a Jewish movement, but the Jewish movement for a generally socialist and egalitarian and democratic vision. Um, So that was one route. Then in Western Europe, uh, of course there had been, again, a horrible um, history of anti-Semitism there. But in the 18th century, Jews in Western Europe started to make some real inroads. There was what was called the emancipation. Started with the Enlightenment. And by the mid-19th century, Jews were doing pretty well in a number of countries in Western Europe. And then near the end of the 19th century came the Dreyfus trial. I don't know if people are familiar with Mm -hmm. this, but uh, Dreyfus, I forgot his first name, was a captain in the French army who was um, basically, it was indicted for spying, and it was all an anti-Semitic intrigue, Mm -hmm. and this split France in half. I mean, this this was a major, major case, and it showed the Jews of France and Germany, and I mean... uh, that oh, I see, we're not really that safe after all. We thought we had integrated, but now look at what can happen. And there were very strong anti-Semitic parties that were developing in the late 19th century, which of course culminated with the Nazis uh, 40 years later. And Theodor Herzl, who was a Viennese Jew who had actually been very cosmopolitan and did not have very strong Jewish identification, he. Uh, found that the Dreyfus trial was a transformational experience for him. He was a journalist covering it. And after that, he wrote a book called The Jewish State, which essentially launched the official World Zionist Movement, and then he established the Zionist Movement at the first World Zionist Congress in Switzerland in 1897. These two movements, the one from Eastern Europe and Western Europe, joined forces and started colonizing Palestine and in a big way. So they started in the early 1880s and the colonization went through waves and waves until by the time of the founding of the state there were 600,000 Jews uh, living in Palestine. Around, by the way, one third of the population, total population of Palestine.
2: Mm-hmm. It's so important to hear that history. I've never heard it before of the, um, how people react to um oppression and exclusion and there's always multiple Mm -hmm. paths Mm -hmm. that people take and i was just drawing the connections to um struggles today with the um or with the arab spring how there were kind of two um multiple factions that form right and different paths that can be taken to say no to exploitation and no to oppression
4: right Mm -hmm. right very much
3: and I can relate to learning a little bit about the Bund. And again, in my 20s, I didn't learn about this group until I was an adult. And then an iteration in the U.S., the Workman Circle, which was a group of, of I think, many groups of immigrants from Europe generally who were Jewish and formed mutual aid societies that were socialist and political and had a sense of solidarity. So, um, yeah, it's, it's also, I'm just sitting here enthralled with what you're sharing. And also, I wonder if you're willing to share what's on your t shirt
4: Oh, sure. I think it relates. Since since Becca already brought up, or Lauren, I can't remember who (laughs) brought up, the claim that many Jews who criticize uh, Israel are called self-hating, because my T-shirt says self-loving anti-Zionist.
1: Joe, that brings us into another question um, that I'd like to ask you and it is about the, is there a difference between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism? And if you could talk about that also in terms um, with the work you do with JVP.
4: So certainly, uh, of course they're different. Uh, in, in some sense, they have n- absolutely nothing to do with each other. Um, Zionism is a political doctrine. And the political doctrine of Zionism, uh, I mean, I talked about its history, but let's just say what its political doctrine is. The political doctrine of Zionism is that Jews ought to go back to what was considered the homeland, as I say, this is a legend and an idea that it's the homeland, but nevertheless, uh, the homeland uh, in Palestine and create a Jewish state, right? And a Jewish state is a state for. Jews for the benefit of Jews, they have institutions that favor Jews. Um, people talk about how Israel is a democracy, but in fact, l- it's it's clearly not. Um, uh, so that's the political doctrine. And as I say, many Jews opposed it. The Jews of the Bund opposed it. And I should also mention that at the maybe most important uh, event to help Zionism become the movement that succeeded in founding the state of Israel, and that was the 1917 Balfour Declaration when Mm -hmm. England, which was the major power about to take over Palestine, uh, committed itself to establishing a Jewish home and actually facilitated for many years Jewish immigration. Zionism would never have gotten off the ground if it hadn't been for the protection of British guns. Mm -hmm. That's what made it happen. So even at that point, major elements of the very establishment, not leftist or especially progressive, but major establishment, Jews uh, in England and elsewhere were opposed because part of Zionist ideology is that Jews are a national entity and therefore don't belong in other nations. They are considered a foreign element. And this, of course, in many ways, if anything, Um, overlapped with the ideology of the anti-Semitic parties that were rampant in Europe in the late 19th, early 20th century. So if there's a connection at all, it's between Zionism and (laughs) anti-Semitism, not anti-Zionism. The anti-Zionists at the time were establishment Jews who said, no, this is dangerous. We are trying to establish that we are just as good British citizens, French citizens, Italian citizens, German citizens as our Christian fellows. It's just that we have a different religion, Mm -hmm. right? We are not a different kind of people. And Zionism really had that idea of a different kind of people at the root. And uh, so to my mind, um, uh, there is no connection with opposing Zionism. Now what it is to be anti-Semitic is to disfavor or um, in any way negatively affect people merely by virtue of their being Jewish. Not because of some ideology they hold or some action they've taken, merely because they're Jewish. That's what the Nazis did and that's what anti-Semites today do. The ones marching in Charlottesville were saying Jews will not replace us. Mm -hmm. They didn't say Israelis or Zionists, Mm -hmm. they said Jews will not Mm -hmm. replace us, right? They actually, Richard Spencer, who, would, who led that march, actually said, I like Zionism. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> the Jews should go there and run the place and I think we should copy them and become white Zionists. He actually used the phrase white Zionists. Wow. So, um, so yeah, there I, to my mind, the idea that by criticizing Zionism you're anti-Semitic is a pure maneuver, it's manipulation, it has absolutely no basis.
2: Mm-hmm. And I would say that um, in my experience working um, in various groups with um, Solidarity with Palestinians, that even if you don't directly criticize the Israeli state, but you say you stand in solidarity with the Palestinians, and we're seeing this right now with what's happening in Gaza, it's open to the world, the brutality of the Israeli occupation. It's clear. And so even just talking about that Palestinians should not be killed is, brings up people saying that you're anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't mention Israel or Jewish people, and that um, need to legitimize the Israeli occupation is so strong, I'm wondering if either of you could comment on that.
4: Well, um, one thing is that uh, it's, <laughs> what happened in Gaza is really telling. Um, Most of the population of Gaza are the descendants of refugees who were um, uh, expelled from the land that the Zionists took over in 1948. That's the vast majority of the Gazan population. Not only were they protesting their abhorrent conditions that they are living under because of the blockade that Israel has had on them for the last 12 years, but they called it their protest the great march of return and the idea and when they're talking about return they're talking about their right to come back to the homes they were driven from mm-hmm. 70 years ago so what they were doing uh, by approaching this fence was saying enough we are tired of being imprisoned we want to go home but of course as soon as you bring up the idea of home for palestinians that is perhaps the most threatening idea that Israelis ever have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, our home, we stole from these other people. Mm-hmm. These people in Gaza were making that incredibly present. Mm. And therefore, it in a way, it's very sad, but it doesn't surprise me that Israel had the um, absolutely atrocious reaction of live fire mm-hmm. against thousands of peaceful mm-hmm. people because if, the idea of people coming back, right? The idea of the infiltrator. What is the infiltrator in Israel? I, w- they try to make it sound like it's the terrorist, but in fact, infiltrator s- stems from the early 50s, late 40s, early 50s when thousands and thousands of Palestinians who had been driven off their land. The war was over. They were trying to come home. Thousands were shot on site by Israeli soldiers. This is no different. This is a continuation of a policy that happened back in the late 40s, early 50s. And the idea is, if we're gonna keep this land for ourselves, at all costs, we have to keep people from coming back. Mm -hmm. And this policy that they adopted today is no different than what they did then, except now it's caught on video. Mm -hmm. And the world sees it.
1: So, Mel, before we also go to the next break, um, earlier you were talking about, um, planting trees and in an article you recently wrote in the paper, you talked about, um, is, is it tikkun olam? hmm Um, mm-hmm. the idea of repairing the world, being taught that, um, while simultaneously planting trees, um, which were uprooting and displacing Palestinians and, like i said i could relate to that very much um and this and talking about zionism um, this is part of zionism to me as well uh that unknowingly um the we're planting and uprooting while thinking that we're doing um good and i just as we grow and learn as jewish people who live in the world we have to be critical thinkers uh and question these ideas and i want to ask you what you wish you had learned about mm. palestine as a young jewish person and do you think that one should come of a certain age to learn about palestine or ha- or have hard conversations like these mm. so To
3: respond to that question, I'm thinking of both my experience as a kid, looking back to to Mel as a child, and then also my experience as an educator um, working in schools with middle school and high school kids. And something I want to say that I think is really important is that half of the people in Gaza are kids. And I think um, it's important for kids to learn about other kids. And I think back to what Becca was saying earlier about the white parent, <clears throat> excuse me, or the parent who has a white child and is curious about, at what point do I talk to my white child about what kids of color are going through? And, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's, it is imperative that if you're someone that has privilege and comfort as a kid, that you are learning that other people do not have it that way and learning how that, how you can be in support of those people. So I think it is very important for, for Jewish kids, white Jewish kids in the United States in particular, to learn about what's happening in Palestine. Um, I wish I would have known as a kid. I wish my synagogue had had a Palestinian speaker come in to tell us their experience because we were only hearing one side of the story. Um, and I agree with you that it's important for, for kids to be critical thinkers. It's not about teaching kids necessarily what to think, but it's about teaching kids how to think. Um, and so I support raising children who are asking critical questions about um, how people are being treated and also about our country's role, right, and the fact that the United States um, supplies so much, so much aid to Israel to be carrying out um, the harmful acts that it's carrying out. So um, I think it's, I think it's very important for young people, and I'll just say specifically for young Jewish kids to be learning about what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think it's robbing. Um, young people of something very important to, to withhold that. And I think, you know, I heard you talk about that, Lauren, about feeling, feeling angry and upset about, about not having been told that truth. And I think a lot of us can, who grew up Jewish in this country can identify with that. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think back to um, a few of us in the room, our Spark, edu- our Spark graduates of the teacher training program, and I think back to the first lesson that happens in the this teacher training program that's about social justice and critical thinking. And that is, how do you teach about Columbus? Mm. And is it age appropriate to teach five-year-olds about Columbus? Well, of course it is. Because five-year-olds can understand mm-hmm. fairness and unfairness. Mm-hmm. And so you don't, It I think with the idea of as kids get older, you don't tell them a different story. You add on to the story and you spiral around and you keep Mm -hmm. coming back Mm -hmm. to these things that are, um, we want all humans to be able to think and do. And so you tell them that, well, how would you feel if somebody came into your house and took something very important from you? Well, a five-year-old is going to say, that doesn't feel good. And then as you get older, but it's, it's not this idea that you tell the opposite story because the truth is too hard to handle as a child, but instead you tell the story in a way that people can understand and you keep coming back to the story of what's happening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's take a short break and then we'll come back and talk about resistance, what's happening here in the U.S., around the world, um, and some of the history of that resistance.
2: And so this is going to be Shadia Mansour featuring M1 and Dead Prez, El Kafia or Arabia. <laughs>
6: نعمل نستقبل من هيك اتعقدوا لما تدركموا على غلطه من لك لبسنا الكوفيه are in. صاروا white زمان يلبسوها كموده the club فيها مهما times they كوفيه عربيه بتضل عربيه We بدنياه ثقافتنا بدنياه كرامتنا بدنياه كل We do بدنياه change the color. We're in Arabic. We're in Arabic. We built it with dignity. We conquered it with بصبن عن أبوهم هيحطتنا من هيك لبسنا الكوفي لأننا وطنيه ست الطوب الفلسطيني من حفا جنين جبل النار الى رمالة خلي نجور يكون في البيضة والحمرة خلينا نعليها لفوق بالسما انا شاء دية العربي الثاني بحص غزب الثاني بهز هزكلي ماتي حرز سجل انا شادية منصور والحطة هويتي من يوم ما خلقت سيدي والشعب مسؤوليتي لك انا تربيت بين الغرب وبين الشر بين لغتين بين Welcome
1: back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM Brattleboro Community Radio Station. We're here today with Mel Motel and Joe Levine, both Jewish um, activists and educators. Um, So we were just talking about the distinction between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, about age appropriateness for conversations about Palestine and how one is never too young to critically think about the world we live in. And so now we're going to move in towards looking at resistance within the Jewish community in the U.S., Israel, and around the globe. Um, So there are many Jewish organizations, but... um, Joe, can you talk a little bit about the resistance, the Jewish resistance that's happening with JVP and other resistance movements in the US?
4: Okay, so, I mean, there's always been, I I, I should point out, going back decades, um, people like Noam Chomsky and others, there have always been uh, important Jewish voices, Uh, Hannah Arendt uh, and others, who have, Albert Einstein, who have opposed. Zionism and opposed um, the brutal dispossession of Palestinians but it was never really uh, any kind of mass organization until probably the last 20 years or so um, at least since my in my lifetime I mm-hmm. guess. and um, uh, the organization I belong to is called Jewish Voice for Peace it's been around I don't remember the exact year it was founded it was sometime in the mid-1990s in the San Francisco Bay Area Um, And it has evolved quite a bit uh, over the years, and um, it has really gotten to a point, it's a very large organization, tens of thousands of members. We had a national member meeting that had 1,100 people at it a couple of years ago. Uh, You know, it felt real. Um, And... uh, and it, there are something like 60 or 70 chapters around the country. My chapter is Western Mass, which is small, but it's a small population, but the chapters in Boston, New York, and the Bay Area and Chicago are actually quite large. And we work um, in solidarity with Palestinians. We, um, uh, we, for one thing, support the boycott divestment sanctions um, call that Palestinian civil society made in 2005 asking that this is the most important civil society nonviolent movement to oppose the Israeli oppression of Palestinians that there that there is, and uh, JVP is in part of that. We um, we, we there were um, hundreds of actions around the country uh, recently in response to the atrocities of the um, killing of all uh, of the Gazans, and so JVP has been active. We've been mounting a campaign to try to get uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren to speak out more strongly, Um, but JVP is growing. There's also another important Jewish group called If Not Now, Mm -hmm. that um, a bunch of them got arrested in front of Charles Schumer's office in New York over the Gaza protests, and they too are, and using a phrase coming from the Talmud, If Not Now When, Mm -hmm. that comes Mm -hmm. from the sage Hillel, Mm -hmm. and they're saying, Basically, if you're not going to act, if not now, when are you going to, right? Um, And so there have been, um, there's a a small group in our area that organizes anti-Zionist Shabbat Sabbath uh, uh, rituals. So there are more and more young Jews. um, And one last thing I can just say is if you go around the groups the student groups around the country students for justice in palestine mm-hmm. sjp yep. you will find the two largest communities are palestinians and arabs on the one, but also jewish students jewish students are making up in uh, the core of many sjp groups so i think the tide is turning in the jewish community and i think young jews are starting to finally uh, look at, at this hypocrisy mm-hmm. that we've been talking about, and saying we can't live with that anymore. Mal,
1: mm-hmm. would you like to talk a little bit about that too, and and you know why, as Jews, it's important to speak out? Sure. I mean, what, something that comes to mind
3: um, when you said anti-Zionist Shabbat is that something that I participate in every year is a liberation Seder. And we're not the first people in Brattleboro to do this. This is something that's happened all over the country and maybe beyond. But you know, something that I was taught when I was a kid is we were slaves in Egypt and now we're free. And that's sort of where it stopped when we talked about Passover. Mm-hmm. It was about the story of the Jewish people. And like now it's fine. So it was bad then, now it's fine. But what the liberation Seder does is we participate in a Pesach ritual, but we also connect the experience of enslavement of Jewish people to current day realities of people, whether it's people in Palestine, people in Syria, people in Nicaragua, how are people still not free? and how do we honor that and take the lessons that we learned as people who have struggled to make sure that we are still supporting people who are not free, Black people in the United States, indigenous people in the United States. Um, so that's something that I love and look forward to every year is both you know honoring my Jewish heritage and the ritual but connecting it with today. So I think that's one of the ways at least in my community that we resist.
1: Yeah, and, and how
3: do we connect that with food? Because you know uh-huh. that's that's an important piece of it too. <laughs> we always gotta have the food. Yep, shout out to Sharon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's such an important piece the sol- the solidarity piece. What? How are we going to be working in solidarity with other groups like Black Lives Matter and Migrant Justice, and working with Indigenous peoples and seeing these struggles as connected? Mm-hmm.
4: Um, well, if I If I can, I I will mention one campaign that I think it's really important for people to know about that um, Jewish Voice for Peace has that that makes precisely this connection you're talking about. They call it uh, Dangerous Exchange. And the um, point is that people don't realize but police departments all over the United States, Mm. major police departments all over the United States are sending their officers to get training in Israel in so-called anti-terrorist training. Mm-hmm. They then come back, and when you look at what happened in Ferguson and all these other places, and you look at the tactics, the militarized tactics that American police are using in communities of color, a lot of that they learn directly from these training missions that going to Israel. And so we have partnered, JVP has partnered with um, With communities of color around the country to try to fight this program, a lot of it is funded by the uh, Anti-Defamation League, actually. Yeah. Um, And uh, so that's one way in which we have made a connection, and that's one reason why you see chants about from Palestine to Ferguson, and uh, And because the connections are not just ideological; they're material.
1: Mm -hmm. Like the wall, like the wall along the border. Yes. Mexico, yes. Mm-hmm. B- right. Right. You know, in build, being built by the same um, companies right. who have built the apartheid wall. And in the
4: manifesto for the of the uh, manifesto for Black Black Lives, they talk about Palestine. Yeah. They mention Palestine. They understand the connection.
2: So I just wanted to thank you all, uh, Joe Levine and Mel Motel and Lauren Perlstein, for speaking out today on. Um, and taking the courage to question what you've been taught and at, at, in a way question who you taught, who you were taught that you were mm. in order to see the lives and struggles of other people. And I think that takes courage. And I think, um, more and more people, like you said, Joe, are taking the stance saying, I can't, I can no longer live with this, um, these blinders over my eyes. We need to take them off constantly. And, so thank you all so much. Thanks well, for thank having you us. for having yes. us. Thank you so yes. much, yes. You've been listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. Stay tuned. We'll be on the air uh, Tuesday at 4 or 5 o'clock. We replay our shows, as well as next Sunday. We will have a show again at the same time at noon.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives, debts, jobs, incomes, the future for us and for our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolff. I've been a professor all my adult life, a professor of economics, and I hope that has prepared me to offer these updates as to what's happening in the economy we all depend on and that is in deeper and deeper trouble as we do.